Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey Podcast. I'm Rebecca Bonington and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tricress. We're here to make it happen for every single ambitious, small to medium-sized business on the planet. How do we do that? We have a range of fantastic tools and techniques to scale your business to the next level. So there's no need to be lonely. There's no need to be confused. We can map out your future growth with you as you grow. We train partners in our methodology and if you want to be one of our partners, go to our website tricrest.com, find out more. And as a business, you can access all our content online via our Fuel My Business app. Find that at tricrest.com too. Without further ado, I'm going to let you listen to our guest this week. Our guests all have run businesses of one kind or another, and they're either at the beginning, middle, or end of their entrepreneurial journeys. So listen, learn, enjoy, and subscribe. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. Today I have Cara Mackin with me. Am I pronouncing it that, that correctly, Cara? Macklin. 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 Brilliant. Wonderful. Thought I'd missed out a letter there. How are you today, Cara? I'm great, Rebecca. What about you? I'm really good. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Now you're in Belfast um, and we met at an event in Glasgow and uh, we got chatting and it was a family business event so just let our listeners know what it is that you do now and how that's been informed by the family business that you're once a part of sure so my business now that I run and set up myself was to help next gen family business entrepreneurs who um, you find in the next generation in any family business you have one or two very entrepreneurial entrepreneurs um, our leaders and quite often they don't have the freedom or space to do in the family business what they want um, so like myself they leave and, and go off and, and set up their own business and um, so that's part of the work I do or the other part is when you've got a next gen who takes complete control of the family business either buys it out or um, and they want to do something very different and innovative with it to kind of change it or um that's that's the work I do as well and, and I suppose that came from as you said I am a, a next gen so I grew up in my family business and, and I was there for I say officially 15 years unofficially like 35 years um and you know to give a very small snapshot my parents set up the business in the 80s care homes and a hotel and property um so when I went into the business in my early 20s we had three businesses and about 200 employees Wow. When I left 15 years later, we had eight business or seven sites actually, and about 700 employees. Wow. That's um, um, well, people say that to me now. I didn't really think it at the time. I suppose Northern Irish people are probably a bit like Scottish, we're quite understated and just get on with things. So I didn't really see it because that's all I knew. It was just that was just business and that's what you did. But but I now realize I suppose at, at the age I am and 
and quite young to have had the experience I've had because I grew up in that environment. I, you know, I can help a lot of other next gens who, you know, either want to scale or the innovation piece came in. Um, the last project I did in a business was I came back from London and, and felt that the elderly care market in Northern Ireland could be disrupted and, and something very different. So I created and opened the first, what's now called a lifestyle care home. Um, the first one in Ireland. So that was very much based around people's lifestyle and social needs more okay. than their medical needs. Um, so to give you an example of the building, like in the building, we have a cafe, a spa, a hairdresser's, a nail bar, a cinema. Um, and of course, in an Irish nursing home, you would have to have a pub. Yep. Uh, so the whole, but the whole ethos wasn't just the building. It was about the culture. It was about the staff. It was about how you changed. I mean, one local doctor said to me, you've completely changed the dynamics and the ethos of care homes and the whole industry. Um, it was very much for me on the basis that any of us, and you know, if your social and mental well-being is not good, your physical well-being is not good. And so I wanted to create a space for older people where they wanted to live in that space more than they wanted to stay at home on their own. Mm. And I wanted to create a space that nine-year-old grandchildren would just bounce out of bed on a Sunday and couldn't wait to go and see their grandparents. So a lot of the work we did, and that was, you know, I say through the eyes of an eight-year-old child, we created it. So I didn't really realize at the time, you know, the innovation we were doing, but but now I realize, you know, the steps and processes we used and and what I brought into that business, you know, can help so many other entrepreneurs as well in terms of, you know, I say it's it's not the textbook version of innovation. It's a very practical, you know, on the ground. How do you do it? And, and I talk about with people how to create an innovative culture mm. rather than, you know, innovation top down. How do you create an environment where your staff are coming up with ideas all the time? And, um, and there is a process around that that you can create that. Um, so I do that alongside helping them to scale because that for me actually is the foundation of how you can scale as well yeah, and, and yeah. very much stay ahead in the marketplace yeah no I agree you can't scale without innovating the, the, yeah you just can't do it you can try but you won't get very far definitely yeah mm. you're right so okay so I have lots of questions from that I think probably the first one is what what's your earliest memory of working in the family business um well, my earliest memory of the business is like six years old around the kitchen table um, talking about the VAT and tax man. And, you know, I probably shouldn't tell this story being from Northern Ireland, but I'm the last person, the last generation of the troubles in Northern Ireland. Um, I'm not talking out of school when I said, I don't think any business owner really loves paying tax or VAT. So my father and mother were probably more, my father was probably given out about the amount of tax they had to pay. And, and I piped up and said, oh, well, you know those boys everyone talks about that like could we not get one of them to get rid of the tax man um so yeah in my head that was the solution um so that's my earliest memory and, and the joke that's told all the time I remember at kind of eight years old being asked what at school what did I want to do when I grew up and I you know very normal I said well I'm going to buy Tammy Girl and run it which was a teenage fashion store in the 80s and 90s. I remember Tammy Girl. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, that was what I was going to do. And um, and I just, yeah, we grew up in business. We grew up being in them. We grew up not so much in the nursing homes working, but in the hotel. You know, when you grow up in a hotel in Ireland or at East Coast in England in a family business. Waitressing, my earliest job was um, kitchen porter, was the washing right. dishes as a teenager. 
Um, you know, I would have loved the front of house in the hotel, you know, the food and beverage side, the customer, the, you know, the functions, the energy you get. And I would have worked in that as a teenager at university. Then I was in accounts um, and then worked my way just through different, different departments. I really like that. Did you get paid properly or was it considered just you had to do it as part of the family? Um, I, d- I mean, when I was at university, I got paid as, you know, as a job. I mean, I, it's funny that when we met, when we met Strun and Kirsty and, and the pay they got, but, but early on, I don't really remember, probably not. Um, yeah, probably it was, you know, but, be, you know, being a in the hotel and, and now we didn't live in the hotel a lot of families do so we didn't so we had a very separate life and lived in the countryside and very much running around in fields and you know a great upbringing that way too but but when we were in work it was you know it was kind of exciting you're in a kitchen you've got chefs it's all buzz it's all going on so um yeah no probably probably didn't get paid at 14 <laughs> or 13. <laughs> and what you know were there any aspects of growing up in that family business that put you off running your own business um and have you ever been employed actually yeah, there's a good question um my only time being in employment was when I did a placement year from university so I remember as a teenager um I would be a real food person um mm-hmm. and when we were young like Marks and Spencer's food was just like the elite you know it was a massively a special treat um my mom was a great cook so we didn't buy a lot of you know ready meals running but I think the first inverted commas ready meal was case Lorraine which we got from Marks and Spencer so I remember as a teenager in school a girl came back who was older than me to speak to us about working in Marks and Spencer's on her placement year in London and I remember that day thinking I'm going to do that so at 19 off I headed to work in what is called the food trend studio um, in their food department so that was probably where my first love of innovation started um so yes I've worked for someone else but you know not in a long-term career you know you're a student you and I loved I absolutely loved my time there I loved the experience I got because my boss was very good to me and and she said look I I need you to do a b and c but after that you can do what you want so for me that was like I was like a child in a sweet shop you've got this massive organization you know so I got involved in HR stuff culture training and development, food, went to see suppliers with Marks and Spencer, went to see distributors, you know, work very long hours because I wanted the experience so much. Um, but in the family, the question you asked, was there anything that put me off? No, I could never imagine working for anyone else. Yeah. Like when I left the family business, some people approached me about jobs and I just, yeah, I, I just couldn't imagine. No, I think once you've been in charge of your own destiny, it's very, very hard mm. to go back. Nick and I, as you know, work in the in TriCrest together, and we both say that we're unemployable. Yes. Because once you have been in charge of your own destiny, it's really, it's hard to follow somebody else's vision and instructions because you're always, and you're creative, I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but if you're creative in particular, you can always spot opportunities and think, oh, we could be doing it this way. But I find that uh, bosses are, aren't that keen on that, <laughs> that level of input always. <laughs> no, I mean, I suppose the advantage of me being in my family business, I had more freedom than I would have had in a you know, maybe a big corporate. But I, it just doesn't lodge in my brain that you can't do it. You know, I grew yeah. up in an environment 
but where if it's there and it needs to be done, you do it. If there's an opportunity, you do it. And um, so I suppose from that point of view, and, and I understand like as our family business got a lot bigger or when you're in a corporate, you just can't do it that way um, all yeah, the time. Yeah. So the, the environment just wouldn't lend itself to my style and how I would want to do things. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you had the the inspiration for the sort of innovation uh, in your year at Marks and Spencers, but that creativity must have been in there inside you somewhere. Where do you think that comes from? Um, I mean, people say to me, "Oh, there's only certain people who are creative," and I totally disagree with that. But yeah, I disagree too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there are. You know, it's like anything. You naturally gravitate to things you like in life. And I've always, I mean, as a child, like I made jewelry. I wanted to be a fashion designer. Like I've always had a very creative mind. Um, so I just apply that to business. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm terrible operationally running a business, but it's not what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I'm the one. If you give me time and space, like that, care who might come up with the craziest of ideas. Some are crazy. Some mm-hmm. work really well. Um, and I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't know where it came from. You know, people talk about nature nurture. Was mm-hmm. it there? Um, I suppose, arguably, my parents are entrepreneurs too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, was it in the DNA? Possibly. Um, was it the environment I grew up in? Probably that definitely contributed to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, you know, I, for me, and, you know, even I suppose the entrepreneurs I work with now would be in their 30s and 40s. And, and now I say, unless you have that skill or you have the ability to hone that skill, you're not going to be successful. You know, 20, even 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you didn't need to be innovating the way you do now. You didn't need to be forward thinking. You didn't need to be creative you know as much as you do now and so for me it's one key thing that I talk about you know younger next gen entrepreneurs need to learn or that you know they need and people think creativity is like this mad you know just go off on a tangent it isn't you know it's you know the other side of me is I'm a very practical you know numbers you know I say German-esque type business person you know it's it has to add up it has to be tangible it has to add value to the business um, so, you know, that is a process and a system, bringing those two things together to, to make it work and, and then ultimately bring in two, three, four or 700 people along with you in that journey. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's the important bit. Yeah, 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 that has to come with structure and, um, as well. So, but it's learning and it's constantly, I, I constantly am doing things to keep that part of my mind and brain active and, and strong. Mm, like what? I'm intrigued um well I do creative things um you know so it's a part of our brain that has to be so whether it's making things or drawing or um the other key things to keep your mind you know I talk about disrupting your own thinking and um, it's very important as a as a leader and an entrepreneur so I mix with very different people I go to Glasgow and um, jump on a flight um, at 24 hours notice and go on hang out with 50 complete strangers to get their perspective which is obviously where we met and mm. um, I purposefully have different types of people working in my business so very different backgrounds very different ages I proactively you know make an effort to make sure I, you know we all gravitate well you know the analogy I use is if you're driving somewhere it's easier to keep driving the same route so you, you know you can't keep doing the same thing all the time your mind and and your energy you don't have enough but you have to you know it's a bit like when COVID happened is like you've driven the same route for 20 20 years and all of a sudden one day there's a massive roadblock in road and that's the day that you're going to a meeting that you're it's a really important meeting 
and now you're late, oh, of course, panic mode sits into your mind. Whereas if you had have driven three or four different routes in that 20 years, when that happens, which was what COVID did, and um, you would have quicker and easier been able to take a different route or your mind would have been trained. And um, so that's where I try to proactively train my mind to know and, and be flexible and take different routes. Because when you keep doing the same thing, doing the same job, doing the same industry, the same people, when the roadblock comes, whether it's COVID, whether it's Brexit, whether it was the troubles in Northern Ireland, and I hope there's never another COVID, but there is another version of it coming. Mm-hmm. In our lifetime, there's another, you know, so that's where it's very important to, as the leader, to, you know, to keep being proactive about that. Um, it, it is essential. And coming back to the idea that not everybody is creative, we, we run a little uh, process as part of our 21st century leadership called Thinking Creatively on Purpose. It mm-hmm. is very much process and it is documented and you can follow it. And we show people in less than an hour how you can do that. And you're right, it's practice. I think a lot of people seem to think that their brain is fixed, but you and I both know it's elastic and that you can retrain it to think in other ways. But because people think it's fixed and they can't do it, they close off those other ways of thinking, but they're absolutely available to them without a shadow of a doubt definitely yeah no I quite and it's very I, mean, I think the job of a leader I mean people would have said to me when I was managing you know very big teams god you must be getting emails all the time you must be getting problems all the time and I said honestly I could count in one hand um but I would have trained you know my new managers and young managers the first question you know you need to be helping your own team all the time to think creatively and that is how you interact with them so you know people say to me well I bring my team out for a day and um, we do an idea session and they can't just come up with ideas on the spot and I said well they can't none of us can you know it's an organic thing it you know we think of that you know I don't know about you but anyone I ask the best ideas come when your mind slows down so you're in the shower you're out for a walk you're it comes at the time not when you're asked um so you know I would say things for example I had some young students work for me and I said, look, I want you to think of ideas as if this was your business. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so days they would come with, to me with certain things. And I'd say, OK, if I wasn't here today, now what would you do? Or if this was your business. But, but you have to start in a very soft, knowing that that first step, they might get completely wrong. Because they've never done it before. Yeah. They've never run a business before. They're panicking, going, oh, God, Karen knows the answer, so why is she asking us? So all these other things goes on and go on in their mind because their their own boss has never asked them. And then slowly but surely you start to see, you know, and then you transition that into they just come to you then with, look, Karen, this is what's going on. These are three ways, you know, we think we can solve it. We think this is the best reason because of this, this, and this. Um, and then you just have a discussion around it. Um, so, you know, it's... I don't you have Go on. Sorry, no, go on. You have to be purposeful about it. I do it in every single conversation I have with my teams. Mm. Every interaction, I'm developing their own creative thinking all of the time with them. Um, because I want them to come up with the solutions and not have to come to me. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of doubt. You, um, you build in that capability and that practice in your team and that frees you as a leader to think about next steps and where you want to take your business and the innovation part yeah absolutely some leaders and this is really interesting 
would feel that they weren't working and I'm putting in inverted commas here it's an audio but I'm doing inverted commas weren't working hard enough if they only dealt with two or three problems a day I've certainly coached and worked with some leaders who feel guilty about not running at 150 miles an hour what would you say to that yes I've been there too and right. the first thing is if you haven't already you're going to burn out I agree. I, mean, yeah, I, agree. I could take my story at 28, 29. Hit, I mean, I don't do anything I don't do by halves, Rebecca. I mean, I, yeah, well and truly hit the wall. Um, woke up one morning, couldn't get out of bed, literally. Right. Went to probably 25 doctors and consultants in Northern Ireland, and medically there was nothing wrong with me. Right. But I spent six months in bed. Right. Um, so that's the first extreme version of it. The next version of it is... You know, you cannot, and I know, you know, you've probably had this too, people might disagree with you and, and me. You cannot come up with good ideas. You cannot think properly about your business. You cannot give your team the best. You cannot give the business the best when you're going 100 miles an hour all of the time. Oh. You know, and it's ingrained in all of us. Um, unless you're working really hard, unless you're doing massive hours of work, unless you're doing X, Y, and Z, you're not a good enough leader. I would say the opposite actually i would say you need to preserve your energy so that when you do have to step in and work 100 miles an hour which will come or mm -hmm. you do but but you know i look at it as the part you know what is in your business are you responsible for that no one else can do mm -hmm. and your job is you know not to use the titanic analogy because obviously it was a boat that was built in northern ireland that then sank but you know if you're not the one looking ahead for the icebergs if you're not the one giving the direction if you're not the one you know you're going to hit an iceberg and, and the challenge now you know if you go back again 20 years leaders did work very hard and they worked big hours and they but I don't believe there was as many icebergs out there as mm. there is now yeah and you could probably foresee them and you probably didn't come as quickly um, and you could navigate a boat you know if you've got a cruise ship you can't turn it very quickly so you need to see the iceberg months ahead mm. and be planning so you know for that reason alone you can't be in the engine working 90 hours a week mm. Mm. Um, no I like that analogy and a lot of people in Belfast will tell you that uh, the boat Titanic was absolutely fine when it left Belfast <laughs> yes it was we, we joke and say when it got to England that was it and actually I talked to someone yesterday and as, and as we all know the boat wasn't the issue it's no. it's like anything in business it's the the leadership and the people um, yeah. pushed it too hard and too far yeah. um so and you're and i would argue and, and leaders might not like me saying this but i would say most businesses are probably okay it's the it goes wrong when people do crazy things or push it too hard or push themselves too hard or um yeah yeah the um one of the reasons i stopped i do a little bit of exec coaching still but i stopped just doing exec coaching is because I would go and see the CEO and the CEO would go, I'm absolutely fine. It's the rest of my team that need coaching. And I'd be thinking, no, it's definitely you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If your whole team needs coaching, then it's you're the Yeah, it's definitely you. And then you're I mean, the one that might need some help. Yeah, it was much easier to go, well, let's work on the business because the CEO is much more comfortable working on the business. And then I bring him or her and the team with the business yes. so that it's an easier conversation than yeah you're the one holding it back sunshine <laughs> so, yeah. but 
but I mean, and it's very hard to take, and we've all been there. But have. But unfortunately, your business is a mirror image of you. Yeah, it is. Fortunately and unfortunately. So you know, when there's problems in your own business, and you know, I have my own mentors and coaches, as you probably do too, Rebecca. You can't, as as hard as you try and as much as you know all of this stuff, you can't do it on your own. You can't get out of your own head on your own. So you need a skilled person. Um, to be able to sorry if you want to I always say people say to me God why have you got mentors and coaches and I said well I have a lot to want to achieve and I'm impatient I want to get there quicker so yeah. why would I not bring the right people around me to help me get there quicker yeah um, uh, absolutely yeah you can't do it on your own so where are you taking your business what's what's ahead for the future for you yeah so my next big exposed milestone is I I say one of the things that helps creative thinking more than anything is being surrounded by different types of people. Mm. Um, so I want to cultivate a group of next gen entrepreneur, family entrepreneurs from different industries and different parts of the UK. who all come with very different thinking mm. in terms of their industry, but actually they have a very similar ethos in terms of, you know, change and, you know, wanting to push on, want to improve, want to do good actually you know their businesses for a bigger picture and um, because when you know and then I can facilitate that I hate the word mastermind but that that group and coach and mentor them in terms of their own scaling journey um but by default they will come with a the commonality of being next gen people and that's a very unique um experience that until you meet people in that space you know when I started to meet those people you feel very very comfortable mm. you feel very comfortable talking about business and the family side of business and um, and then the, the pace around when you meet different types of people in different industries, it really does broaden your thinking and your expertise so much. Um, so that's my next big milestone in the business that I want to do this year. That sounds really this exciting. Is, yeah, the, the, the next gen family circle is, is what it's called. Yeah, good. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, we... we... <laughs> We're doing that for our partners. We have mastermind groups and you're right. I don't like the term either, but I haven't thought of anything that else I want to call them yet. And everybody understands what a mastermind group is anyway. I'm going to have to redefine it at some point. I think that's a really good thing. If your business had a personality or character, how would you describe it? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um, I often, um, bipolar is the wrong word, but we're, very much two sides of a coin. So I suppose your business mirrors your own personality. And um, the one side is, you know, creative, Disney or Dyson, you know, very much, you know, forward thinking, crazy ideas, Apple type stuff. Um, the other side of us, I think I said earlier, very German-esque, you know, you don't grow up in a business in Northern Ireland as a second gen starting from nothing during the troubles without you know very tough hard really good business lessons and you know we would be very as a family and I suppose I have it too very practical and I say you know people talk about scaling a business I just don't understand and can't wrap my head around you know like oh, let's throw five million out and hope this works or let's yeah. you know what we would you know I would still know the price of like pens in our business or and not to be I'm not anal about costs but I'm anal about waste yeah. or, you know, very old fashioned, traditional, practical, good business, I would say, acumen. Um, so I, it's like the old and the new and um, the two sides of the coin is probably how I would describe it. I like that the the, mo the closest analogy I ever heard about that was um, Swiss Germans 
working on a project with the Swiss Italians on the Swiss Italian border. Mm. This was years ago. I can't even remember what they were working, engineering, cars, something like that. And I'm like, do you know what? That's fabulous. That's the creativity and flair of the Italians. And like you say, the precision of the Germans. I said, I bet they made some amazing things. Um, and you need that yin and yang. You really do. And to have that encompassing one person is fabulous. I think uh, there's one question I forgot to ask. What was it that instigated your parents starting the business way, way back? What was that about? Um, yes, me, my fat, my parents' backers, and my father was a joiner, left school at 14. My mum was a teacher. Um, so my father was in property in the 70s. He's on kind of buying and selling and renovating houses and um they I suppose when I look back they were always going to be entrepreneurs um mm. and why the start of the business was nursing homes and you know nothing very well when I say insp- their story is inspirational but my father's sister in Dublin was a nurse she had a nursing home they went and looked at it and thought oh well this you know and it was the timing of it you know if you think care homes in in the UK were the 80s you know they started mid 80s so they were you know two or three years behind England so you know, perfect timing, um, perfect opportunity. And, and the hotel came later on, actually, it came, my mum had a love for hospitality. So they seen mm-hmm. a very niche um, gap in the market to create something very different in the 90s in Northern Ireland. Um, so that's where it came from. Oh, I see. My husband's a joiner. There we go. Yeah, yeah, but I get that now, the renovating and the, having the network of builders to, to buy something and, and use it for a different purpose. Yeah, that makes perfect, perfect yeah, And I suppose their personality too, when I look back, you know, my father is great at building and developing. And, you know, yeah. so that was a very strong part, or is a very strong part of their business. And and my mother is an amazing, amazing operator. Uh-huh. You know, but, you know, if you think of like, well, she was a home economics teacher, so just run a house, but on a much bigger scale and very focused on the people and doing it right and good food and, warmth and you know looking after people and so that goes across both the businesses actually yeah that's really interesting fabulous I could talk to you all day Cara I really could because I know there's loads of other stuff you're doing that's really interesting um but I keep these short and sweet because I know our listeners are impatient entrepreneurs and they have a very short attention span uh plus I don't have the budget of a Joe Rogan three-hour podcast so (laughs) (laughs) no I'm with you I like short and sweet That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. We hope you really enjoyed that guest. Remember to go to our website, tricress.com, T-R-I-C-R-E-S.com. Find out about becoming a partner with us. Uh, Find out about how to engage with us to help grow and scale your business to the next level. And discover more on our online platform, Fuel My Business. Remember to subscribe to the podcast here and we'll see you again for the next episode. Bye.